In an unconventional political year, we shouldn't expect conventional party conventions, as the Republican gathering in Cleveland this week gives way to the Democratic meeting coming to Philadelphia next week. That is the only reliable prediction. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Politics and publishing are longtime bedfellows, of course. Biographies, manifestos, exposés, and histories reliably ride the campaign coattails. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, joins me every Friday to share the latest book world news. And for this political week, he's prepared some nominations for the top titles on the publishing ticket. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Uh, so indeed, the Republican Party convention uh, kicked off earlier this week, and just in time, PW has put out a primer on the two candidates, now officially, uh, at least officially uh, for the GOP, Donald Trump, and soon to be official next week, Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. So tell us more. Yeah, well, what a week it's been, right? You know, from an author's publishing perspective, I think it's been especially interesting, probably more so than past conventions. I mean, you have Melania Trump accused of plagiarism in her speech, which, uh, interesting enough to me, sparked a bit of a conversation on social media about exactly what plagiarism is, a, a conversation I think millions of Americans haven't likely considered uh, since they turned in their final paper in college years ago. It's also proved to be a big advertising boost for this company called Turnitin.com who I used to write about when I was uh, at Library Journal back in the day. And that's a database that professors now use to compare student papers for plagiarism. But to me, I think the most interesting author-publisher development was Donald Trump's Art of the Deal ghostwriter stepping out of the shadows in The New Yorker to claim that he wrote the entire book and to share his fears about a Trump presidency. Uh, some of our listeners probably know that kind of really breaks the ghostwriter's code. But hey, is anyone really surprised that you know, some of these celebrity guys don't actually write their books, that Donald Trump might not have written every word in his own book. Uh, I think that's probably the worst kept secret uh, in, in the publishing industry. But, you know, that said, back to our, our roundup for the convention season, which you uh, are correct. We did uh, out on Monday of this week, and it's on the Publishers Weekly website. And it's actually pretty fun. You know, we took a look back through the PW archives to see what kind of coverage we had on the two candidates. The most notable of our Clinton coverage came from 1996, and it, it concerned uh, her recording the audio editions uh, of two of her books, It Takes a Village and Living History. For Village, Clinton actually had to battle a blizzard to make it into the studio for her recording session. And for Living History, the audiobook actually came out at the same time as a Harry Potter audiobook, which you know probably suppressed sales a little bit for her, but both were rocketing up the charts at the time. The media's mentions of Donald Trump, meanwhile, came in 2005, and that year's season of The Apprentice was just winding down, and there was a flood of Trump-related books hitting the market, including Trump's own Trump, the best golf advice I've ever received, which was written by Trump. I guess. Uh, and there's also the authorized biography, No Such Thing as Overexposure by Robert Slater. There was also Donald Trump, Master Apprentice by Gwenda Blair. And as you might expect, all of these books are pretty promotional for Donald Trump. Well, as you say, there's no such thing as overexposure. At least that's what Trump supposedly said. And that's the point, isn't it? That the, the candidate's own words are ostensibly their own words. Now, you edited the list of political books for PW's fall listing. And I can imagine you recommend 
recommend other reads that go well beyond just the candidates. I, I can indeed make some recommendations. Uh, of course, you know some of these books from the fall list that came out in June of this year are, are not going to be available until after the election, but a number of them are going to be out before November. Uh, and if you're interested in politics, this is really a great time to go back and check out both our fall and spring listings for 2016. Both are available on the PW website, and there's a ton of great offerings from new political books that have come out in 2016. And of course, I'm happy to offer a few highlights, having seen the long lists. One of the books that I think is really timely that's coming out this year, uh, sometime in October, is a book called Another Day in the Death of America. It's by Gary Young, and it's published by Nation Books. And it presents a series of portraits of young people that have been taken from us far too soon by gun violence, uh, gun violence that has become all too common in America. Uh, And that obviously is going to be a big issue, I think, in this upcoming election. It certainly was in the primary, uh, and that's guns. There's a book called Dark Mirror about Edward Snowden and the growth of the American surveillance state. That's from uh, Pulitzer Prize winning Barton Gelman. Uh, it's out in September, I think, from the Penguin Press, and it offers an inside account of sort of the growth of the surveillance industrial revolution, as it's called. Uh, and of course, some of the people who are fighting back against that. There's, of course, a Trump book. It's called The Gilded Rage, A Wild Ride Through Trump's America. It's by Alexander Zaychik, and it looks at who are actually Trump supporters. Glenn Beck has a new book coming out. It's called, as you might expect from someone named Glenn Beck, Liars, How Big Government Progressives Lie, Teach Us to Lie About Ourselves. In November, Wes Lowry uh, has a book on the Black Lives Matter movement called They Can't Kill Us All, The Story of Black Lives Matter, also very much in the headlines. And of course, there are a lot of great books on the stands right now that we had featured uh, in our spring listings. I think one of my favorites is a really insightful book called Lies Incorporated. The World of Post-Truth Politics by Ari Robin Haft. And it sort of shows how we've become really divided today by the sort of army of ideological warriors who, you know, watch their own networks or look at their own news feeds and really sort of operate with sort of a loose connection to reality, at least beyond not beyond the reality that shows up on their Facebook feeds. Uh, if you've been f- watching on TV this week, you can probably relate to some of that. And I'm also a fan of a book called, uh, I was just going to come right out and say it, Rat Fucked. <laughs> it's How the Democrats Won the Presidency But Lost America by David Daly. And that book pulls back the curtain on how redistricting the sort of cemented Republican legislative majorities, even in states where Democrats routinely win more votes. Uh, and I'll leave it off with this. You know, h- however you lean politically, I would would just ask you at this time, just don't rely on the TV. Don't rely on the CNNs of the world or the Foxes. Go read a book. Uh, and there are many, many to choose from, as you can find on the Publishers Weekly site now. And if you get your background from these books, I think we'll all be better for it. Well, I, I love that advice. Step away from the TV set just for a moment or two. Well, back to publishing. You brought us back to publishing, but staying on the topic of government. This week, there was an interesting bill introduced in Congress that offers a streamlined alternative to expense and long-lasting copyright litigation. Tell us about that. Yeah, possibly another small step on the way to broader copyright reform. Uh, this week, Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat from New York, introduced H.R. 5757, which has been dubbed the CASE Act. 
case standing for copyright alternative and small claims enforcement. And that seeks to establish uh, an efficient forum to resolve small copyright claims. Uh, the bill is said to be modeled on a 2013 report on small copyright claims, uh, which you can find online. And it seeks to help owners who really don't have the resources to pursue federal copyright actions, which, as we know from talking about on this show, can be awfully expensive. Uh, specifically, the bill would establish tribunals administered by a copyright claims board, which would consist of three officers, all of which would be appointed by the Librarian of Congress, who I am happy to say is now Carla Hayden, uh, and two attorneys that would be appointed by the Register of Copyrights. Participation in any of these tribunals established under the Case Act would be voluntary and would not impinge on a party's right to actually uh, sue and go to a jury trial under the Copyright Act. In releasing a statement of support for the bill, the Authors Guild Executive Director Mary Rasenberger said that the Guild has actually been pushing for just such an alternative for years. Uh, and while I'm sure that is true, I think she's probably going to have to keep pushing. Uh, and again, to be blunt, she's probably going to give Sisyphus a run for his money uh, with this bill. All right. Well, OK, so I guess you don't see this bill having a future, at least uh, uh, this session of Congress. Why not? Well, as you say, uh, this session of Congress, that's pretty apt. First off, I think politics, right? The bill was introduced and then boom, Congress left for vacation. And when they return, it's going to be fall in the election season, so nothing's going to really get done there. Uh, and then after the election, you have a lame duck session, and I don't see anything really moving in a lame duck session. And then we have a new Congress, so everything has to start over. And with a new president, I might add, and you've got the first 100 days and the legislative agenda there. And then, of course, there's the bigger issue of copyright reform that is still percolating out there. So I think while getting the bill actually introduced and giving it a name is a win of sorts, that's really going to be about it, I'm afraid. Now, Politics aside, I agree with the bill's acknowledgement that copyright infringement on a small scale, especially in this age of social media and you know internet sharing, is is a problem. But you know, but having read the bill, I can't say I really agree with the approach it takes to a solution. Uh, and we could be here all day and talk about this, especially you know you and me, given what we love to talk about. But I'll just say this: I think we need. First, to look at better ways for rights holders to make their rights known and make their works available for licensing before we can start creating new avenues for enforcement actions. And I know, of course, obviously, CCC is really invested in the technology and in the solutions to, to this issue as well. Uh, you know, so I think that there's a good outcome here. It would be that any copyright reform measures that are going to happen in Congress, look at the problem that's presented in the CASE Act, the Copyright of Small Infringements, and really seek to get to the root of that issue, which in my mind, I think it's very, very difficult to find a copyright owner these days and, and to license a work quickly and easily. So, you know, I don't have any answers and I know there are probably not any quick answers to how we make that process easier for copyright owners. I'm just going to say it's not an easy issue, but before we create new avenues of adjudicating copyright battles, I would hope that we would put more effort into looking at ways that we could possibly nip some of those battles at the root. Well, you know, I think we would agree with you at CCC that, uh, you know, the opportunity for infringing is greatly diminished when there are easy to use solutions available. And I think uh, you're making that point as well. Andrew Albanese, we appreciate chatting with you each week on Beyond the Book. Thanks so much for joining us. And we should tell you before we let you 
you go that uh, your colleague Calvin Reed spoke with me uh, earlier this week for a podcast coming out on Monday. Uh, he reported in PW that the North American market for the comic books and their trade book cousins, the graphic novels, has now crossed the $1 billion mark. And we got into the reasons behind all of that. And Calvin also told us about some of the hot new titles. As new fans come to the medium, they want a broader variety of comics. Nothing wrong with superhero comics, but they want genres like um, Saga, the incredible series published by Image Books. That's a combination science fiction fantasy adventure series uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn. It's my pleasure, of course, to be here as always, and you'll definitely want to listen to Calvin because uh, he is a bit of a superhero, if I may say, in the comic book world himself. So I'm sure he's got some interesting insights. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. My pleasure. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with its subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm.